wanted to begin today with a, um, a video illustration um, of motherhood. This is not a Mother's Day sermon, but I just want, thought this would be kind of a good way to begin our service. This particular bird has laid her eggs in a, well, in a quite a precarious situation. So we'll see how she handles it. That is, isn't it? Now, usually we just focus on that last little noise in our, with our moms, don't we? I did all this good stuff for you, and all you remember is the squawking. Moms, you don't squawk. That's what I'm not saying. In the ideal world, this would be all of our mothers, right? Because we all need this type of love and care, and, and we all need this type of protection. You know, we seek that out. I realize this is a tough day because some people don't have, like Brian said, some people don't have a great relationship with their mom. Some people's mothers have passed on. It's difficult. And there are several women and men in this congregation who would just give everything to be a parent. So this is difficult. So this is not really a Mother's Day sermon, but I think that this video kind of sets up what we're talking about today. Because I said in just a moment, we need that. Just a moment ago, we need that type of care, and we need someone who's willing to face death to protect us, don't we? Oh, wouldn't that be great? So I want you to remember, too, that you are loved. And there is someone who will give their life, has given it to protect you from the, the really dangerous things in this world that seek to kill much more than your life. One has already done this. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But as we begin, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us to this place in this moment in this time. Thank you for the reunions that are happening this weekend. Lord, thank you for all of the celebrations and those people who have made this this transition from college into the professional world. Lord, I pray that you would put your blessing on those people. Lord, wherever we are today, wherever we come from, whatever baggage we are holding on to, I pray that you would speak into our lives today. Lord, I pray that you would speak to those areas that we need to release to you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is our very last sermon on, on the Yeshua series. And it happens to be on Mother's Day, which is exciting. You know, motherhood is in the news all around us this past week because I don't know if many of you knew that, uh, this particular point of, of, of information, but um, someone was born on Monday. 
Uh, Archie Harrison Mountainbatten Windsor was born on Monday, May the 6th. He comes in at 7 pounds 3 ounces. Was born at 5.26 a.m. on Monday. Uh, Prince Harry is just over the moon. You know, he's a great guy. And, oh, this is a picture of the queen uh, seeing him. I don't know if it was for the first time, but it's pretty exciting. God save the queen, right? Um, The family's been through a lot over the past few decades. How many of you remember where you were when Princess Diana died? Okay, a lot of hands. I I was in Cleveland. Uh, I was talking to my wife on the phone, and we were watching all the CNN news. It was pretty devastating. How do we, why do I remember that? I don't know, but I do. It's interesting, you know, because there's a lot of talk about the British royal family, even still, in America, here in West Texas. You hear it. You know, we were in Houston. They loved that show, Downton Abbey. How many of you love Downton Abbey? It's okay, guys. There's no judgment here. Thank you. I appreciate that. Male hand in the back. (laughs) Uh, There's something about this whole British royal family that's just appealing to us, you know? We're fascinated. However, we do bristle when we think about having to ourselves be subject to a king or a queen. Oh, I love the idea, but ooh, who could handle that? You know, granted, much of her power rests in the British parliamentary system, but she's still very much queen. And when she passes, Charles will succeed her, and then Prince William after that will succeed him, and then the line will continue. Do you remember the last king we had in America? Anyone? Okay, high school students who've just finished American history. I'll just give you a hint. His name was King, and the last letters were three, and the name was George. Okay, King George III. You know, we parted ways with him soon after we kind of became unified, if you can use that word in America. Um, One colonel still wanted a king, though, in America, so he asked Washington. He wrote him a letter. Please be a benevolent monarch, because we can do this. Uh, Washington was offended. And he says, no. That's my translation. Um, (laughs) It's funny. He was offended. And I think we kind of have that same mindset ever since. Why am I talking about this? It is exciting when you really get into the royal system because it's for someone else. It's not for us. Why, do we, why, why is this important to us in our conversation today? Because Yeshua is our king. However, as I'm preparing for this lesson, I, I heard from a friend of mine. He's a friend and minister. His name is Dan Bouchel, and he's done a lot of ministry work all across the world. And he's seen different types of political systems in action. And one thing that he said, it just stuck with me. He said this, it's hard for people, specifically in America, to re- understand how to be citizens of the kingdom of God when they live in a democratic republic with no concept of a rightfully reigning monarch and willing submission to his glory. Would you all agree with that? It's kind of difficult for us to realize what exactly is a king. Now, the closest we have to royal families is maybe the president, maybe. I would say maybe the Bush family, that's kind of a dynasty. Although we kind of rejected, you know, Jeb in this last go around. Um, But there are probably some royal families somewhere in America who are very wealthy, who kind of have a lot of influence. But for the most part, we don't really care for that. But Yeshua is king. That's the reality. Even Pilate, whenever he saw 
Jesus. He saw him. He had him brought to him. This is what happened. John 18. I'm going to be kind of stringing some pearls, going throughout several different areas of Scripture today, hopefully tying them together. And John 18, 33, he says, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responded, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then Pilate asked that famous question, What is truth? This was the reason he was born, was to testify to the truth. So he's telling the truth. But as Pilate asks, What is truth? I'm going to ask a similar question in my own style. What is a king? And what kind of king specifically was Yeshua going to be? So submission is difficult no matter who you are, but now you put in an all-powerful ruler into the mix. For us, specifically in the land of the free and the home of the brave, Americans, it's almost impossible. We don't pledge allegiance to anything except the flag in our country. And depending on what school you go to, Texas. You know, we don't... We don't ever pledge allegiance to one man unless it's election season. But after that, once he's elected, we don't do that anymore. I mean, we're accustomed to being our own boss and our own person in charge of our own destiny. Freedom is our mantra. So submission to one ruler and one king, we definitely resist that. You know, after all, in our culture, whenever someone tells us what to do, we push back. And the mindset is pervasive. It's, it's our worldview, really. And if we have a problem trusting God and really submitting everything to Him and following His commands and His Scripture, even the basic ones to love God and to love others, if we have a problem doing that, it's probably because we might have this idea of God as this all-powerful king who's ready to use whatever tools he can to make us fall in line. I've met people who have this idea. Oh, I don't go to church because it will cave in. God will get me because of what I've done. But a king is not a bad image because kings represent not only power and wealth, but they represent safety and security. So for about 300 years after Joshua, the Israelites, well, they were in one mess and out of it and in another one and out of it. So if you read Judges, you'll see that there is this long string of judges. And the first few are actually pretty good judges, but they each person becomes less and less honorable. Each judge, I mean, till you have Samson, I mean, talking about not an honorable man. And then you you have some other ones down the line. Until finally, I love this, the very last book of Judges, I think it's Judges, it says everyone in Israel did as they saw fit. Now that's a law I can get behind in my family. If It's just me. But these people, they weren't satisfied. They weren't satisfied with this invisible king that they had. 
So you finally have Samuel, who was kind of this restoration of everything good, and they said, Samuel, we want a king, like all the other nations have. Look at all the other nations are prospering. We want a king. And so Samuel says, God, they want a king, and I'm really upset about it. And God says, don't worry, they've been doing this to me for years. I'll give them what they want. So he did. He gave them uh, a king, just like all the other nations. Samuel was, I mean, Saul was tall. He was strong. He was paranoid. He was brutal. He was moody. He did not follow Samuel or listen to wisdom or even follow God. He did not care about his people. Instead, all he cared about was ruling with force, intimidation, and maintaining his power. So this king, Saul, led his country into this civil war that ended in violence and bloodshed. They got what they wanted. A king like all the other nations. And I think God did that so they would know what it was like. But God loves his people. He's gracious. So he decided to find a new king. And he he wanted to find one that would best represent them. So what did he do? The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler over his people. But instead of using a man who had connections, strong power, and wealth, and political clout, he chose a young man named David, a shepherd, the youngest son of Jesse. Now, I don't know how much you know about shepherding in that day and age, but shepherding was the job for the youngest in the family. And whenever that person uh, wasn't the youngest anymore, and the youngest actually got to be a certain age, then that child became the shepherd and this would pass down from youngest to youngest until finally um, if you were the youngest guess what you're now the family shepherd congratulations so it seems that David was the family shepherd doing the job that no one else really wanted to do and to let you in on David's status in the family by the way Samuel decided to go to Jesse's house that's where God directed him and so Samuel was probably the second most important man in all of Israel Legends pass and follow this person. So, so the second most important person goes to your house, to David's house, and, and David was completely ignored. He wasn't even a, a thought to his father. Forgotten. So imagine if the president or the vice president, someone important shows up at your house and no one calls you. Don't you have somebody else's? He's here. Oh, yeah, he's just a preacher. He's at work. It's uh, it's not a big deal. This was the one that God wanted, though. He's the eighth son. Seven is the perfect number. Eighth, and add a blessing. Stick him in the fields. But he chose this person because he had a heart like God. Was he perfect? Of course he wasn't. But he had a heart like God. It's clear that God has the heart of a shepherd because because David and, and God at this point shared the same desire to care, to love, and to lead sheep. Now with this in mind, it makes a lot more sense as to why shepherds were the first people who were called when Yeshua was born. God loves shepherds. The key here that I want us to remember is God has this high view of shepherding. The rest of the world, eh. 
Can you translate that in closed captions? Eh. But God, oh, he has a heart after the shepherds because these people lead, they're present, their main concern is their flock. If a sheep is sick, they care for them. If they are hungry, they lead them to food. The shepherd it pours the oil on the head of a sheep to keep them from getting flies and diseases. And there's, there's stories about how sometimes in the hot months there's flies and things that get in your nose and, and even stories of some sheep banging their heads against anything that they can to get some relief. But by doing some sort of a ointment or, or some treatment, it helps keep those flies at bay. And in that day and age, I think it was olive oil, um, uh, sulfur, and some spices so they would take care of them, pour oil on their head. They would shear them. That's not bad. Wool is heavy. There's a story in New Zealand about a sheep who had evaded capture. He got out of the flock, evaded capture for six years in these mountains. I don't know how he stayed alive, but he evaded capture for six years. When they found him, he had 60 pounds of wool on him. This is the, I think this is the actual one. It had gotten so bad that it had covered his eyes. The sheep couldn't see. Imagine having that much burden and weight on you because we're running away from our shepherd. The shepherd also protects the sheep. They have a staff that's meant to help keep the sheep in line. We've all seen this. It's a crook. Has a little, it's meant to kind of pull them in, make sure that they're staying where they need to stay. Sheeps alone, by the way, are targets they're weak, they're vulnerable to attack, and the staff, it's for keeping those sheep together and safe. But, but the shepherd also has a rod for protection. What is a rod? Well, it's, sometimes it's a little smaller. Sometimes it has little things on the end, so it'll be kind of a good weapon. In fact, um, I, I've read several areas that they say that this idea of a rod has transitioned into this image of a scepter, a royal scepter, which means shepherding is a very old profession. Isn't it interesting how, how possibly shepherding has influenced royalty? It's still being used as a symbol of protection and safety by kings, this, this idea of, of, of scepters, which makes me wonder, this is the question I've been having. Is the idea of king a human invention? Did we think of this idea of king with all the pomp and circumstance and, and, and crowns and, and robes and and, and all that. Did we think of this ourselves? What if, and this is just a question, what if God's idea of a king has been to lead like a shepherd all along? Because God has a heart for the shepherd. And he holds them to a higher standard. Whenever you start seeing, whenever God is kind of um, scolding or, or, or talking harshly to Israel, he talks, he talks to the king here and there, but what he's concerned about are the shepherds of Israel. Ezekiel 34, it says this, Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. These are the leaders of Israel. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourself with the wool, and you slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. 
They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Wow. So what does God say in verse 11? He says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I don't know about you, but this is comforting to me because God is our shepherd. He will look after His sheep. And I know we like to think of ourselves as competent, as self-reliant, independent, bootstrap pullers. I know that. But the truth is, really when it comes right down to it, we're sheep. We tend to be stubborn. We tend to be weak and frail, hard-headed, but needy. And we have been this way since the very beginning. David knew this. He knew what it was like to be a shepherd, and he knew what it meant to be shepherded. So he writes this famous psalm, Psalm 23, saying the Lord is our shepherd. He leads us, he guides us to where we need to go, even the stubborn ones among us. Imagine those stubborn Israelites who were freed from Egypt. They were completely arguing, saying, God, we should have just gone back to Egypt. We're going to die out here. You know, the thing is, they traveled for 40 years, but they weren't lost. God was leading them from from pasture to pasture, from good place to good place. He was taking care of them. Even as they grumbled, God was leading them. God leads us even still today. Although our setting is more urban than it was back then, He still leads us. I found this illustration of, um, of a man in Amman, Jordan, leading his flock through a busy city street. Now, I guess they have different rules in Jordan. <laughs> and I, for them, this is probably a, a normal day. But for me, that's fascinating. That you can have 40 sheep that just follow you and wait for you. And I think this is, man, this is very similar to us because we... We come up to some pretty significant issues each and every day. We are stopped. We are told to move. We are stopped. We are moved this way. And we wonder, why? What's happening? Why am I not getting where I want to go? I think the fact is, our shepherd is guiding us. He's protecting us. He's our shepherd. He chose to be with us. Yeshua was God in the flesh. And as he approached John, what did John say? He said, a voice calling of, of one calling in the wilderness. He says, prepare the way for the Lord to make straight paths for him. This was a declaration that John the Baptist was making. A declaration that he was making from Isaiah chapter 40. And Isaiah 40 goes on to say this in verse 10. He says, see, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Oh, this is comforting to me because Yeshua, Yeshua, he's a shepherd. His kingship is that of a shepherd. 
And I know we all push back when we feel as if we're being ruled, but, but it's different whenever your, your ruler really loves you and is, and is devoted to doing everything he can to make sure you have life. God is not like the kings of the nations who lord their power over others. In fact, in Matthew chapter 20, he tells his followers specifically, we are not to be like those Gentile rulers, those those rulers who lord their power and authority over others. We are instead supposed to be servants. If you want to be great, you have to be a servant. Shepherds are servants. They care for their sheep. Their sheep matter. And I want us to remember this when we think of Yeshua, when we think of Him. He is the chosen King, yes. He is one that will rule for all eternity, yes. But He will tend His flock like that of a shepherd. His sole desire is for us to be with Him. And what did Jesus say is eternity, eternal life? In John 17, this is eternal life, that you know God and the one whom He has sent. He wants you to be with Him forever. He wants you to be safe and secure, at peace, knowing that He is our guide and protector. If God is for us, who can be against us, right? And I know that many in this room are, oh, you're struggling with trusting anyone, much less God. I know you're struggling with with what it means to actually submit to Him. You still want to do things your way. I understand that. But I'm here to tell you, all of those ways, all of the ways that lead away from Yeshua, that lead away from God, they all will end up in death. Destruction. Misery. Sadness. Everything that we do that that takes us away, separates us. And what happens to a sheep when they're separated from the flock? My desire for all of us is to follow God through His Son, Yeshua. A Jewish man from a humble family who has changed the world. Because He's leading us to something better, something more, and we just have to follow. Sure, we may have to endure some desert. We may have to endure some dry areas, but, but you need to know in that day and age, grass wasn't just plentiful. You had to trust that your shepherd was going to take you from here to there. And sometimes that meant walking through some dangerous places. It's because He's taking you somewhere that is good, that is right He's taking you somewhere that that you were meant to be. So trust Him. Be willing to follow because He is our shepherd. He is our protector. He is our friend. He is one who has sacrificed His life for us. And He is our King. So my encouragement to you today is to choose to follow and let Him lead you. Let's all stand together. If you need prayer, we have men and women all around this room and apparently uh, crazy noises too. <laughs> Take this moment and choose to follow. Let's, let's, let's sing. Last thing. Thank you, Phil. Could you uh, show that last slide? Psalm 23, it should be in there. It may take you a second to get it in.
It was extra. I wanted to end with this. Um, I want us to read this together. Because my desire for you is to know that wherever you go from this place on, that you have a shepherd. You have one who is looking out for you, who has your best interest in mind. And our best interest is to know him, is to follow, and to let him lead. So let's read this together as a declaration. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Amen. God bless you.